Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Social Value, a podcast where we explore what creating value for society means and the practical ways you can go about creating it. My name's Sarah and my guests work in different areas of social value across public, private and third sector organisations. From public sector procurement to ESG and sustainability, social enterprise and impact measurement. I'll be asking them about their work and what they've learned and they will be sharing their tips and experience to help us all make our organisations better. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about social value in health and getting some ideas for things that suppliers in the healthcare sector can do. My guest is Rachel Stancliffe, CEO at the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare. I can't wait to ask Rachel about the biggest areas in healthcare where we need to make the most changes in the kind of product innovations healthcare professionals would like to see suppliers making. So without further ado, Rachel, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here. Can I start by asking you, what is the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare? Who are you and what do you do? I'm the chief exec of the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare and we're a charity registered in the UK. We're based in Oxford, but we work nationally and somewhat internationally as well. And since 2008, we've been engaging healthcare professionals, patients and the wider community to understand the connections between health and the environment and also to reduce the resource footprint of healthcare. If it's not a stupid question, what is sustainable healthcare? So sustainable healthcare for us is healthcare that can continue within the resource envelope into the future. So not just for now, but for the future. And that means looking after the planet that we're on, but also the people that are on the planet with us. So it's very much this sense of the broader environment, including nature, the air that we breathe being clean enough, the water that we need to live being clean enough and the people being healthy enough and having that good environment. So for us, we quite often, well, we talk about the triple bottom line, our sustainable value equation has health outcomes on the sort of top of the line for what we want out of it but the inputs in terms of resources are not just money but they are environmental and social as well when we think of the triple bottom line that's what we mean we mean people planet profit or environment social and financial I'm so glad I asked you because I think I had thought that the centre was mainly focused on the environmental side of sustainability but actually you're saying it's not just about carbon it's about the social side as well yeah very much because it's people that do things and the culture around what we do and how we behave is really really kind of central to well it's central to that resource use but it's also central to us being healthy and continuing into the future amazing I'd love to focus today if we can just on that resource footprint of healthcare because I think that's what a lot of the suppliers who listen to this podcast will be most interested in but what kind of work do you do what kind of projects do you get involved in? I mean obviously we first came across each other we met through the NHS forest didn't we but you do a lot more than just that don't you? Yeah sure so I came from a background in public health and I was interested in the best use of resources and then understanding the sort of environment crisis how we could bring that into healthcare. So very much wanting to work in an area that I sort of understood. So my first trip was to our local hospital to talk to the estates director and the energy manager. So I stopped my job in evidence-based medicine and thought I'm going to do something in healthcare. When was this? uh, 2008. 
Well, probably wow, 2007, amazing. actually, that I was already thinking about it. Yeah. And that visit was really important because I was really kind of like naive. And I just said, oh, well, how can I help? You know, <laughs> and the estates guy said, well, we've been doing quite a lot of becoming more efficient for about 20 years already now. You know, we understand the need to reduce our carbon footprint and our energy usage and so on. But he said, what you can do if you really want to help is to try and get the healthcare professionals on board because they are the ones that draw the resources through the system. Right. And without them on board, it's really hard to make the changes to everything, the environment, what gloves you use, whether you change from one kind of wipe to another and so on. So that's kind of how we set up is by not doing the buildings and the heating and the lighting, but focusing on the pathways of care through the health system. And that really drawing on, you know, mainly secondary care, because that's where the resources are spent, but to some extent, the rest of the pathway as well. Wow. Okay. So many things I want to ask you, but can you just explain for me, because I'm a complete novice, I'm trying to learn more about healthcare, but when you talk about secondary and primary care, what do you mean? So secondary care hospitals, primary care GPs in their surgeries. So in terms of understanding carbon footprint, obviously, and everybody thinks, you know, all of the intense energy use in the big buildings and the hospitals, that's the obvious place to start with reducing carbon emissions and increasing the value of healthcare. But actually, a lot of carbon, a lot of resources are also used in primary care, just because there's so many visits. So you know, a GP sees someone every three minutes or whatever it is, 10 minutes, if you're lucky. Yeah, I was about to say there's GPs all over the place saying, we had three minutes. I know. Yeah. And it's really important, therefore, to look at the whole of that pathway. So the hospitals are really important, but it's the whole of healthcare that we're interested in. So you're looking at the primary and the secondary, but yeah. looking at the people that are working in healthcare and the decisions that they make and how can you influence them? So we have principles of sustainable healthcare, and they start with prevention and then they talk about patient centred care, lean pathways and then low carbon interventions. So the suppliers might be more interested in the low carbon interventions, but also in the lean pathways. So if you're trying to, for example, you know, reduce the size of a syringe or change from one kind of glass syringe to a thinner plastic or glass one like we have with wine bottles (laughs) then you know you can measure that change quite easily and that will have as you can tell impacts right through from primary care to secondary so all through the pathway because you're using those syringes in lots of different places so manufacturers of things in the health system whether they're drugs or equipment technical stuff alongside all the stuff that we use, like, you know, the laundry and the PPE and the masks and everything. So it's all the stuff that we use, which makes up actually a huge percentage of the health system's carbon footprint. When we first looked at a carbon footprint, we were really surprised because everyone thinks it is in those buildings, but actually that's probably only about 15, 20% of the whole carbon footprint. What are the biggest areas in healthcare where the biggest carbon footprint is mm-hmm. and where do we need to make the most changes from a sustainability perspective? Mm. So that ties back into when we started alongside me going to talk to the guy at our local hospital, the first carbon footprint sort of estimate really in those days of the whole of the NHS was done. 
And it showed this, that only 15-20% was in buildings, another 15-20% in travel, depending on where you are. And the rest of it is in procurement. So that is in the supply chain. So basically, the pharmaceuticals are a huge part, but also the medical equipment and the devices, um, whether they're single use or reusable, they are a big part of the carbon footprint. So that sort of supported what the guy in the hospital had told me, which was that actually, you know, you can't just change the building and expect us to go to net zero you can't just put really good recycling bins in waste is only like one or two percent of the whole carbon footprint so it's really important to get the clinicians on board and the healthcare professionals on board and to some extent the patients okay so how do you do that then so you mentioned the green space work on the nhs forest that is a tiny part of what we do but it's a kind of foot in the door so it's a bit like a i used to call it a green trojan horse this idea that what will connect people to the environment. And in 15 years ago, people didn't really think about carbon. They didn't understand what it was. They didn't understand sustainability. So we had this idea of connecting people to the environment with a very simple symbol of a tree. And we wanted to plant one tree for everybody working in the NHS as a kind of you know symbolic connection. So we have run that programme for quite a long time. And that's one part of what we do, but it's in a way a a small part. That's the NHS Forest. That's the NHS Forest and the work on green space and health that's grown out of that, which is more complicated than just planting trees. It is. I I was going to say that because you do a huge amount more than just plant trees. You create green spaces, don't you, in in hospitals? and that's kind of that part of it, which has grown. And I, you know, I was surprised. Some people said, you're absolutely mad. What? No one's going to listen to you in the NHS if you talk about planting trees. But now, of course, the whole thing about nature and health is much more current, much more, I suppose, during COVID, it had a big boost. But generally, there's a lot more acceptability that that's a real thing. That's a legitimate thing for people to think about and to experience. So not so much of a kind of crazy idea. <laughs> now yeah. It doesn't seem like a crazy idea now. Yeah. The main part of what we do is to engage those healthcare professionals with the need to become more sustainable. We have a sort of strap line, which is inspire, empower and transform. So we want to transform the whole of the system. We need to inspire people. And that comes in different ways. It can be obviously telling positive stories, giving solutions, maybe sometimes scaring them about how things are bad. But we found over the years that generally the positive messages were the good one, yeah. you know, giving people win-wins. I mean, in the early years, we talked a lot about saving money alongside what we cared about, which was the environment and the social value. That idea that positive, you know, societal outcomes for all can really come out of being careful about how you use your resources in a constrained environment with which we are living. And so, you know, our programmes have grown into very much kind of engagement programmes, I suppose, and that sense of empowering people within the system to make a change. So we realised earlier on that, you know, we're never going to be big enough or have enough power to do things ourselves or do all of the things ourselves. So it's a lot about working alongside people within the system to support them to make changes, to educate them, to understand the benefits of this for patients and for health outcomes. So the benefits of sustainability alongside, you know, working with people in procurement and estates and so on to help them to make the changes with which they were tasked. What kind of programmes do you run and what kind of outcomes have you seen? What kind of changes have happened? So we run programmes in sustainable specialties. So 
as you probably know, within medicine, the sort of natural communities of practice are the specialties. So, you know, eye care, kidney care, cardiology, whatever. And so knowing that they were the way that change happened already, that's the culture within the NHS, is that the change happens within that community of practice. So we've done a lot to work with those specialties. So we would work, for example, we would have a programme We started in kidney care, partly because my medical director was previously a kidney doctor. (laughs) And so she knew that she knew a lot of people in that area. So we started a network. We sent out a survey. We worked with the Royal College of Physicians at that time. We invited a really broad roundtable of people. So including people from industry, patients, obviously healthcare professionals themselves, technicians and sustainability experts and researchers around the table to really understand what is the footprint of that specialty? What's it made up of? Where are the hotspots? Where can we make changes? How does change normally happen in that area? And then, you know, you might, well, we did got somebody specifically to work with that community on understanding those changes, begin to do some research and carbon footprinting, begin to work with them on the changes that could be made. And then, of course, you're into conferences and seminars and disseminating some of the sort of understanding getting a broader in input from a wider range of people and it's about starting a movement really it's a kind of a bit like you know you touch paper and you get a kind of critical mass so I think within a year we had something like 85 90 percent of kidney units in the country were signed up to a network the sustainability network which then can kind of generate questions and answers and start understanding some of the solutions as well. And what kind of solutions have they implemented? Have they got that far yet? Yeah, so that was what we started with 15 years ago. So there were a lot of ideas then about solutions. So an example would be that the fellow we got, who we seconded in from kidney care to work with us for two years, he not only did the carbon footprint of several of the like home dialysis versus dialysis in hospital, because that was a sort of question at the time. But for example, he worked directly with industry. I won't mention a a name, but (laughs) he went to their factory and sort of worked with them to try and reduce the size of the bottle that the saline liquid is delivered in because they found that it was too big and that they were throwing a lot away and it was a waste. So really, you know, from quite complex things about machinery and pathways and who uses what when to quite simple changes that could be made, which people on the ground were seeing but didn't know what to do about, you know, they don't know what to do with that information. They would say things like, oh, if this bottle is 250 mils and we only need 200, we throw 50 away. Exactly. But how are we supposed to tell the manufacturer? We don't know. Did they reduce the bottle size, did they? Yeah, they did. Wow, that's amazing. Because that's the kind of thing that I think that suppliers, they want to know, but they don't often have that mechanism to get that feedback, whether it's from the people who use the products or, and there's lots of reasons for it, especially in healthcare, I imagine, you know, it's super difficult to get into those rooms where the healthcare professionals are using your products and see what's actually happening. So you've obviously got the workshops and the network gives you that mechanism to do it. Is that something that suppliers could set up or do you already have them now for each of the specialist areas oh, or no I'd love do you need it more no we need more no I mean we would love it if we had it for each of the specialties Sarah that would have been amazing it's really hard to fund because you're funding a clinical person to work alongside you so it's expensive we did a very good one in psychiatry with the Royal College of Psychiatrists we had a two-year fellow for that but it was really hard to get other funding because of the funding issue, we've sort of diversified and we've got now scholars who are like one day a week or two days a week. 
So it's not nearly as, as sort of powerful, but it's much more fundable. And they yeah. do similar things. So they do one off programs within those specialties. But I'm just thinking if you're a drug, I mean, I'm just talking out the box here, but say you're a drug manufacturer and you make one of, you know, there's only one drug or maybe two drugs that solve a particular problem, mm -hmm. which is the case, isn't it, for a lot of conditions. There's very, mm -hmm. there are some, you know, conditions where there's only very few drugs that can be. So the NHS basically has to buy your drug. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got a captive market. It strikes me, and you'll get a lot of business from that, that there's quite a lot that you could do in that space, you know, as part of your social value offer. Yeah, yeah. So basically, there are lots of different kinds of hotspots when you asked before about where are the sort mm. of big areas of carbon. And I said procurement, but obviously within that, there are lots of different things. So the targets that were set for the NHS last year were about inhalers and about desflurane, which is an anaesthetic gas. So you can pick out particular things, but then there are some things which there are just really lots of stuff used, you know, so whether it's gloves or syringes or, you know, cannulas or something like that, where actually the volume means that it's a really important hotspot. And there, as you imply, there's lots of competition. So maybe things are always kind of getting refreshed and changing when there isn't as much competition there are loads of things that you can still do obviously if you're a manufacturer that cares and this is a lot about the culture of the of the organization but as we know people are shifting towards wanting that not just for their customers but for their employees and their image generally the whole point of social value is it's the public sector's way of saying we want to buy from companies that care and, mm. and it's a mechanism that they can use to make buying choices based on that right it's why it's yeah. worth 10 percent and so you know it's the public sector saying to suppliers we want to buy our syringes you know we're going to specify the syringes and we know that there's five or ten or however many different manufacturers and you're all going to give us what we've specified but which one of you cares which one of you is going to you know make sure those syringes are made from recycled material or or yeah. puts out communication content that encourages practitioners to consider whether they need to use a syringe that's a probably a very bad example but I'm thinking of blood tests so I remember reading there's an awful lot of blood tests that are requested unnecessarily because it's yeah. so cheap and easy to get blood tests now you know yeah. you break your leg or we'll get your blood <laughs> we'll do a blood test yeah. it's become a sort of automatic thing and as a result of that you've got a lot of unnecessary blood tests yeah. happening which are quite wasteful from an, yeah. an environmental point of Absolutely. view and wasted medicines is another good example so over prescribing is a massive problem you know, you would think, oh, companies don't care if they prescribe our medicine. Yeah, it's just more sales. But of course they care because most of those companies start from a point of view of actually wanting to do a good thing for people. And if it's being wasted and then flushed down the toilet and then maybe or thrown away in the bin, contributing to problems in the environment. So there's lots and lots of reasons for them caring. And so one of the programmes that we run is called the Green Team Competition. And that's like a sort of mini version of the bigger program that I was talking about in specialties and that gets wards within a hospital usually to compete with one another and we measure not just the cost and the carbon emissions but also the kind of added the social value of whatever the change is and that might be some really simple things from you know patients bringing their own blanket in because oh, actually wow. they prefer it and then the hospital doesn't have to pay for it and so on. So it might be a, a sort of change like that, or it might be, as you say, unnecessary cannulation was a big one. You know, people have a cannula stuck in them sometimes just when they come to hospital because they might need it. But actually it's horrible for the patient. It's really it's unpleasant, really, yeah. 
really unpleasant. And so there are things like that, which people spot on the ground, you know, nurses, doctors working in the NHS will spot, but there's no time to do anything about. Then you've also got cleaners and porters and other hospital staff who are also really important. The cleaners and the porters will notice some of the waste before yeah, exactly. many other people, right? But nobody ever yeah. asks them. They have no agency or power to change it. Yeah, they would love exactly. to, exactly. but they don't know how to. Yeah, exactly. Things like that can unpick both kind of resource waste, but also what is the kind of, it's not like the culture, but like where you can bring patient benefit and values into a discussion on care, because actually some of those things are are not as simple as just measuring stuff. It's more about, you know, what do you want? What is important for you in this experience, I suppose, of going into hospital? Healthcare professionals, are they quite receptive to this kind of thing? You know, if you were to go into a ward or go into hospital and say, look, we want to run this green team. Yeah. You know, are they quite receptive to it? Do they embrace it or do they say, oh, we haven't got time. We're quite busy. If a hospital wants to do it, we will always get five or six teams that want to take part. So, yeah, people are really busy, but they also really care and they increasingly care about the environment and about social value. So they want to make changes and they're prepared to spend a bit of their own time. So if there was a supplier listening to this, a healthcare supplier who was thinking, oh, we could run a green team, you know, in a particular speciality or a particular area, you could connect them with healthcare professionals that might want to do that. It wouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, no, no, no. There's lots of them that want to do it. Are there? Have you got like a list? Yeah, we've got a list of people that want to do it. And also there are people who've done it once and would love to do it again because it's been a really positive thing. Advocates. Yeah, because the case studies, I think the main value we bring, apart from just getting them together and getting them to sort of think through methodology quite carefully and all that kind of stuff, is measuring it really carefully, quite rigorously, so that at the end they've got a really good case study of how much money they've spent and saved how much carbon they've spent and saved and what social value they've added. You know, it's a really powerful thing for their comms, but also for that team to feel, you know, and they win a prize and then the mayor comes along and the chief exec sort of finds out about all the great work that's going on. And Yeah, but they love it. But also then that can be shared for learnings for other trusts and other... So I think we've got sort of 800 case studies now on our... Oh my word, that's loads. We'll put a link in the show notes so people can have a look at them. I was going to ask if you've got examples of, but I imagine you've got loads of things that companies have been doing to supply their products and their services more sustainably to the NHS. Yeah, absolutely loads. And we get people asking us to do the carbon footprint of their new thing, which we can also do. So that's been quite interesting over the years. You sort of see people who coming from a you know small medium enterprise or something like that that want to get their stuff into the NHS. And it's like, OK, we want to show our credentials and giving them a carbon footprint with social added can really help them to do that. Some of the things, they've been really, really varied, but they have been, for example, changing the size of a syringe, using video cameras in old people's homes to measure gait. If somebody's way of walking changes, they can pick it up before they have a fall, because falls in elderly are really are a massive reason for going into a hospital absolutely loads of stuff on reusables so reusable PPE you can imagine COVID sort of times and things but also people who have come up with really innovative ways of repurposing some of the waste within hospitals so you know turning it into other things turning into 3D printable stuff you know prosthetics so you can make your 
make a false leg out of the wasted plastic from the packaging from something else you know lo loads of stuff at all That's different amazing. levels and yeah. I suppose is there also an appetite then for where you've got an idea like that somebody who can help make it mainstream because I imagine you've probably got lots of examples of things that have been done at a local level or a very concentrated level but yeah. actually aren't being rolled out or embraced yeah and I think that's why people come to us because they've sometimes done that one or two examples but they want to get it in more widespread use and they think that doing a carbon footprint or doing a case study where it's actually shown in use in one place and then that's written up and publicized will get them more exposure within the NHS yeah amazing so what I'm, I'm hearing is we've got green teams we've got the carbon footprints there's some green spaces and a bit of environmental biodiversity type work. And then you also talked about training. I was going to ask you what you thought the senior leaders in the NHS's priorities were from a social value perspective. But also mm. if you could just talk a bit about the training that you do, because that's really interesting as well. Yeah. So the boards that we train, we do board level training on sustainability and that includes social and environmental. And we get a huge amount of enthusiasm and buy in. You know, they really get it. It only takes yeah. about half an hour <laughs> and they're really in there and we give them a little bit of pre-reading and some of them do loads more and they yeah. come along and they're really fired up. But everybody is on board. I don't think we've ever had a really negative kind of set of people that just go, I don't why am I here? Really get this, don't want to do it, it's not going to work. And that is needed at the top to support things because there's a huge amount of kind of upswell, I think, from the ground of people who really just are fed up with seeing a lot of waste and know how strapped the NHS is and want to do more for the communities around them and be a positive kind of source of change. So this whole idea of the NHS as an anchor institution, you know, modelling good behaviour, but also being a place, being a sort of hub in their community, because they are very visible, aren't they? Hospitals especially. They're towns and they're rights, right, aren't they? Yeah, I know, exactly. And then there's this sense of they can be such a positive thing. And that's where the green space stuff is really nice. But back to the education, we run courses, not just for senior leaders. So the idea is to get them on board, but then to provide education for as many people as possible within the workforce so we have I think 20 now courses about 20 courses and that runs from introduction to carbon modeling to getting sustainability into quality improvement and then we've got a whole load of specialist ones like mental health and child health and and so on so that people from those specialties again can come and talk to groups of people in their own specialty so we do a kind of four hour it's online, but it's sort of bespoke one to one yeah. workshops. And if people wanted to sponsor those courses, again, is it one of those things where you've got NHS staff that would like to do them, but they can't afford them? Yeah, no. There's no funding. Well, sometimes we get somebody with some end of year funding <laughs> that they're willing to put in, but there's no kind of funding pot for this at all. And so, so if someone came to you and said, oh, I'd like to get 50 diabetes specialists trained on something. Yeah, that would be fantastic you would be like that would be amazing and you could yeah. find those specialists yeah yeah definitely and we've got a kind of calendar for the courses it's a really sort of neat system now with there's online reading first and then some quizzes and and a kind of discussion forum online for those people that take part in it and then we do this four-hour session and then we have a sort of cafe that we run afterwards that anybody who's been through a course can come along and bring their questions and bring their ideas to keep it going it feels like you could also almost sort of package it as well. So you could run the courses and then do a green team, you know? Yeah, 
no definitely so you've got people who've done the training and have got the knowledge and then they get to go and apply it absolutely and especially if you've got the leadership of a hospital for example on board roll something out that would be amazing Yeah, definitely and I mean with the green plans that the ICB level now as well yeah so the integrated care boards or the integrated care systems have to do a green plan alongside the trusts within that area but that ICB is you know encompasses quite a lot of different organizations and there's this need for and there's I think 42 of them or something all across the UK and that's a really good opportunity to look at kind of not just you know one part of the system but across the board give them all some training get them all thinking together because they all say they want to work better together and not silos and blah de blah but they hardly ever come together in reality. So some kind of training opportunity and working together on a particular project is a really good way of doing that. So you could offer somebody, you could offer a, a customer or a procurer it and align it with their green plan development activity yeah. that they're taking place anyway. It has to, right? Yeah, well, they can choose what to put in their green plan, but it has to include at the moment nine different areas, which, as you can imagine, they're quite a lot of different bits of what we've been talking about. Yeah, that's amazing. Final question. This is probably tricky. If you had a magic wand, right? So, or, I don't know, somebody made you in charge for the day and you could change one thing about to make the NHS more sustainable, what would it be? <gasps> oh, embed sustainability in everything. Possibly a very sort of strategic thing might be shadow carbon accounting. Oh, um, what's that? Well, if you think about we spend money on things, but we don't know the carbon value of everything cost of everything so if we did we would make different decisions oh wow so you have a price you know so you say that's a range is 10p but the carbon price of it is 50 and that's a range is also 10p but the carbon price of it is 40 exactly you might choose the one that's 40 exactly oh that's yeah (laughs) (laughs) can you grant my wish that would be no (laughs) no it will happen i mean there are people out there working on this kind of there are people thing, working right? i had a call this morning with like six different universities and there are all these health economists and there are lots of people working on bits of this it's just going to take a while to sort of come really? but it will it will come through yeah what are they doing what they're all coming together to try and work out a prize for things yeah. well ukri i won't go into the detail but there are some big research calls out both in the uk and in europe for people to get together to create you know hubs that really begin to unpick this and understand it and the social value stuff is really important in there i yeah, mean i, know I think we can't put a number on it as in the same way but it, it is in there in people's consideration so it's it's going to be really interesting yeah just has to happen a bit quicker that's the only mm, issue yeah anyway thank you so much it's been absolutely brilliant how can people get in touch with you if they're listening to this and they're thinking oh my gosh we've got to work with them well please do get in touch the website is sustainablehealthcare.org.uk where you can google center for sustainable healthcare and we're on social media obviously and you can email me directly and it's rachel yep. at sustainablehealthcare.org.uk i'll put a link in the notes as well so people can just click through Great. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Oh, I hope they get in touch. And thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sarah. Huge thank you to Rachel for taking the time to speak to us. I hope you found that as informative and interesting as I did. If you want more information on working with the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare, please reach out to them. Their contact details are all in the show notes. I'm Sarah Stone and you've been listening to Let's Talk Social Value. You can find all the previous episodes of the podcast on our website or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this useful, then please share it with your network and consider leaving us a review. I'd love to know what you think and we're always looking 
looking for ideas for new guests. So please do reach out if there's anybody you would like to hear from. You can find me on LinkedIn or contact me via our website, which is www.santala.co.uk. See you next time.